Today on Blue 58, the Packers are filling out their coaching staff as Jeff Halfley begins to put his stamp on the defense. Who's in, who's out, and who should you know more about? Then, let's take a look at the Packers coordinators and quarterbacks. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink, and I am happy to be with you here for another episode. Some encouraging news out of Green Bay this week as the Packers have made some changes to their coaching staff. One of my big fears as they went through this defensive coordinator process was that once they'd selected a a guy to be in charge of their defense, that he wouldn't be able to make substantive changes to his coaching staff. That does not appear to be the case as the Packers have made several changes to their staff, and it appears that they may not be done yet. Uh, in, In any case, they've gotten new guys in and a couple of people headed out as well. On the way out, are Jerry Montgomery, first and foremost, Greg Williams, Kirk Olivadotti, and then in some fairly late-breaking news, Joe Barry. So we can put the Joe Barry story to rest. He's not going to be hanging around on the new staff, which is a big win considering where we were earlier this offseason with that. But let's talk through each of those guys. Jerry Montgomery does not survive to see a fourth defensive coordinator. As you'll recall, he was hired back under Dom Capers, survived the transition to Mike Pettin, survived again to the transition to Joe Barry, will not be back with the Packers this time. Instead, he's going to be the new defensive line coach in New England. It's a noteworthy change because few people in Green Bay had been around longer than Jerry Montgomery, again, having been around in Green Bay since 2015. Then Greg Williams heads out. He had been their passing game coordinator, took over in that position when Jerry Gray left last offseason. Now he's off to new and different things. Though as of this recording, I don't exactly know where. And to be honest, I don't particularly care. I have spent zero time over the past 10 months thinking about Greg Williams. And I suspect that you probably haven't either. He was hired on March 10, 2023. So you could probably count on one hand the amount of times that we have talked or thought about Greg Williams since then. Then Kirk Olivadotti, mild surprise, but he got an opportunity to coach with Mike McDonald in Seattle, who is coming over there to be their head coach from Baltimore. Uh, Olivadotti was the linebackers coach at Georgia while McDonald was a graduate assistant there, or some low-level position, may have been a quality control type coach, not a position coach or anything like that, but he he was a low-level coach there, Olivadotti, higher up on the food chain. Now their roles kind of reverse. Olivadotti jumps over to Seattle, and this is just a case of the Packers opening a door and to everyone who wanted to leave being able to leave, and he left, and you can't really blame him there. Things are changing. He's got an opportunity to work with a guy he has worked with before, and so he heads off to Seattle. Then coming in to Green Bay, let's talk first about the defensive side. There's also an offensive change as well. Uh, The first hiring or noteworthy hire on defense is defensive line coach Vince Ogabasi. He coached with uh, Halfley at Boston College, was there from 2020 right up until he was hired there, uh, has also worked for UCLA, uh, the San Francisco 49ers. He worked for Ohio State, though not while uh, Halfley was there. And then he worked for Duke as well, also played collegiately at Duke uh, on top of that. So he intersects with Halfley at two different spots, Boston College and with the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, the Packers have also hired, apparently a, a big get for them, Anthony Campanile, uh, who is a linebacker coach for the Miami Dolphins, the former linebacker coach for the Miami Dolphins under Vic Fangio and a, and a couple coordinators before that as well. Uh, he had been at Rutgers previously, but after Jeff Halfley was there, 
that he was at Boston College, but before Jeff Halfley was there. This just appears to be kind of a, a an availability sort of thing. Uh, you would think the connection between the two is probably Greg Schiano, given his connection to Rutgers, but I, I can't say that for sure. Um, he is a highly regarded linebacker coach, though he interviewed for the Giants defensive coordinator job this offseason. The Eagles wanted him to be their linebackers coach because their their defensive coordinator, Vic Fangio, jumped over to Philadelphia from Miami, wanted to be closer to family there. He ends up, though, in Green Bay. So two noteworthy hires on defense. The Packers have also brought in Sean Mannion to be an assistant quarterback coach and passing game coordinator. Mannion is a former NFL player. He played four years at Oregon State, then was a third-round pick by the then-St. Louis Rams back in 2015. Selected 89th overall, just a few picks before the Packers took Ty Montgomery that same year, just in case you're curious. He spent 2015 through 2018 with the Rams. Then for the final four years, five years of his career, 2019 through 2023, he went back and forth between the Vikings and the Seahawks doing three stints with each team. He finished in his NFL career 67 of 110 passing, 573 yards, one touchdown, and three interceptions. And I go through the trouble of recounting his career stats for you, just to say that his lone passing touchdown came against the Packers in 2021, the third and final start of his NFL career, and the only game in that entire season in which he saw any action at all. His last real NFL action came against the Packers. He ended up throwing a touchdown that that day, and there you have it. That's the Sean Mannion story. There are other players, other guys who are sticking around in Green Bay as well, and we might as well stick with the offense here for a second because Tom Clements is sticking around in Green Bay to be the Packers quarterback's coach. Nothing but good news there. He's highly regarded within the Packers organization, has deep ties to both Aaron Rodgers and Jordan Love, and you have to think part of Jordan Love's um, improvement over the course of this season has to do at least in part with his work with Tom Clements. So that is good to see. Then on the defensive side of the ball, Ryan Downard and Jason Rebervich are sticking around for the Packers as well. Downard coached with Halfley, you may recall from our Halfley-centric episode last week. He was with the Browns with Halfley in 2014 and 2015 as a part of Mike Pettin's staff. Then he was a defensive quality control coach with the Packers in 2018, their assistant defensive backs coach in 2019, from 2019 through 2021, their safeties coach in 2022, then their overall defensive backs coach in 2023. It'll be interesting, I think, to see if he gets pass game coordinator added to his title. I had not noted that as of the time of this recording. Then Jason Rebrovich is in a bit of a almost no man's land here, uh, but he's probably going to be working with the defensive ends or pass rushers or whatever the Packers end up calling them. We haven't actually nailed down what their the Packers' base scheme is going to be. Under the, the previous scheme, he had coached what were referred to as outside linebackers, but basically your edge rushers, then had pass rush specialists added to his title as well. Just as a refresher, he has a lot of experience, if only at the NFL level, but a bunch of college experience too. He was with the Bills from 2013 through 2016 and the Jaguars from 2017 through 2020. So a noteworthy retention there and probably going to have an increased role according to some reports out there. I think Peter Bukowski of The Leap or of the Locked On Packers podcast there, depending on how you want to refer to him there. But um, he, he had that news first that Rebrovich apparently is going to have an expanded role. Exactly what that is, we do not know yet, but I suspect we will find out here in the relatively near future. So those are the changes on the coaching staff. Let's stick with the coaches here for a couple of minutes as we continue our recap 
of the 2023 Green Bay Packers. It's tough to really look at the impact of coordinators and assistant coaches. It's hard enough to look on, on the impact or look at the impact that coaches had. It's, it's difficult to quantify, but at least you get to hear the coaches talk to the media and things like that, and they have a, a much more public-facing role. Coordinators, it's sometimes a mystery exactly what they do behind the scenes, but I think we can speak a little bit to what the Packers' three most important assistant coaches did in 2023, and those would be defensive coordinator Joe Barry, offensive coordinator Adam Stenovich, and uh, special teams coordinator, coordinator Rich Bisaccia. So first with Barry, we don't need to spend a lot of time on Joe Barry. I know it wasn't great. You know it wasn't great. We've all been together for the past three years. His defenses consistently were less than the sum of their parts, almost always. Confusingly, a lot of his defensive numbers do tend to look pretty good. And I I know this, I'm extra familiar with his numbers and the numbers of every defensive coordinator back to Ed Donatel because of a, a project we recently did uh, at thepowersweep.com. If just as a fun exercise, you would type into your, the web browser of your choice the words firejeffhalfley.com, you would actually end up on a page at thepowersweep.com. Bought the domain just as a as a fun, well, I guess gift to myself, put it that way. But I figured somebody's going to do it eventually, so it might as well be me. But I'm using that page to track how Halfley stacks up, stacks up to all of the Packers' previous defensive coordinators dating back to the turn of the century. And then probably we're going to dig back into it uh, beyond that as well, because you can even go pretty deep with some of the advanced numbers back into essentially time immemorial, um, de- depending how esoteric you want to get. All that to say, Barry's defenses tend to measure up pretty well in a lot of the big numbers that you look at. Some of the yardage numbers look good. Some of the, the scoring numbers look good. But historically, Barry's defense always struggled situationally. And I think that is really what did him in in Green Bay. It's just the the play-by-play stuff was just not very good. It didn't seem like he ever had a great grasp of what he was trying to do um, situationally. Let's just use this as a, as a for instance here. Um, think back to the, the Mike Pettin era in Green Bay. I believe it was 2018. Now, I'm not saying that Mike Pettin is a great defensive coordinator, uh, he had many of the same shortcomings that that um, that Barry does, missing situational stuff. But he also was willing to to dial up some situational pressure too. That season, the Packers played. I think it was the 2018 season. They played the 49ers at home, either on Sunday Night Football or on Monday Night Football. And late in the game, the 49ers were driving with a chance to run out the clock and I believe win the game. Uh, this is off the top of my head. But the the exact circumstances of the game aren't super important, but they came. it came down to a key third down conversion. It was going to be a third and long, and realizing that he could either sit back and play coverage or bring pressure, what does Mike Pettin do? He brings an aggressive, aggressive blitz. I believe it was an eight-man pressure, uh, if memory serves correctly, but just might have been cover zero, full bring the house blitz on the quarterback in a gotta-have-it conversion situation. The game is on the line, and what does Petten do? He dials up a big one. He swings big, realizing that the quarterback's going to have to process fast. And what happens? They end up throwing the ball up. Kevin King probably makes the best interception of his Packers career, and the Packers go on to win that game. I can't recall a single instance of Barry really reacting to a situation like that and choosing to be aggressive on top of that. 
he always struggled situationally, and we saw that in 2023, I think, in a, in a pretty significant way. Let's rewind, well, just very recently to the Packers' last game of the year and talk about that last 49ers drive. For context, I bring that drive up because the Packers this season were 10th in scoring defense. They had the 10th best scoring defense in the entire NFL. Only nine teams allowed fewer points per game than the Green Bay Packers in 2023. And yet, when the Packers were facing down the 49ers late in that game, when the 49ers take over with six minutes to go, down four, did you ever think to yourself, well, good thing the Packers have the 10th-ranked scoring defense out there? No, of course you didn't. You thought, here it comes. Here comes the big, long scoring drive that's going to put the Packers away. And lo and behold, Christian McCaffrey scroll, strolls into the end zone. This is a good example of the sort of stuff that really was going on with the Barry defense. Because although they didn't give up that many points, and you can even look at that game, they didn't give up many points. 24 is a very winnable figure there. If you hold a team to 24, you should be able to win. But, but... The Packers, if you dig into their defensive numbers a little bit more, were 25th in scoring percentage. That is, only seven teams allowed other offenses to score more frequently than the Packers, or six teams, I guess that would be. On a per-drive basis, you were actually incredibly likely to score against the Packers. Even if you didn't score that many points overall, chances are, many of your possessions were going to end in points in a given game, and you're probably going to win a fairly low-scoring game because the Packers' offense wasn't scoring at a prodigious clip in a lot of the Barry era. The Packers, just generally speaking, were a poor situational football team. You can see why those two, pack, the, those two numbers square. Yes, they didn't give up a lot of points, but teams scored a lot of the time that they had the ball. On top of that, if you really want the explanation for why that first number is so low, why points per game was so low for the Packers' defense in 2023, the Packers' defense faced the fewest drives of any defense in the league. No team's defense was on the field for fewer drives in the 2023 regular season than the Green Bay Packers. It just, the the defensive numbers that point to Barry being a good coach, and there are a few out there, are mostly just a mirage. And it's just a fact of them not being on the field all that much. Anyway, that's way more time than I wanted to spend on Joe Barry, a guy who is no longer in the Packers organization. But if we're looking back on the 2023 season, he was a big part of it, including how it ended. Then Adam Stenovich jumping over to the offensive line, or offensive side, offensive line kind of tipping my cards here. The, the bulk, I think, of Stenovich's impact on the offense has to do with the offensive line. And under Stenovich dating back to even when he was the offensive line coach, the Packers have been willing to do some weird stuff on the offensive line. Guys who would normally just play one tackle spot might play both tackle spots, or a guy might switch to from tackle to guard within the course of the season. Billy Turner moved a whole, around a whole lot. Was he a left tackle? Was he a right tackle? Was he a guard? He got moved a whole bunch. They've been willing. I think that's really the hallmark of of the Stenovich era. He is willing to do some weird stuff on the offensive line, and it doesn't always work. We have harped on the 2021 divisional round decision to start Billy Turner, who'd been injured, over Yash Nyman, who was not, in that game. 
and go with Ricky Wagner on the right side. Um, and it, it cost the Packers there. We've harped on that a lot. It was a big and bad decision on the offensive line, I think. We're, we're arguing against the vacuum of the unknown there because we don't know what would have happened if Nyman had been out there. It's easy to say he would have been better, but we just don't know. But they went with a guy who hadn't played left tackle in a year and had been injured for much of that season rather than a guy who had gotten the Packers through some tough spots in 2021. They did that, and they ended up having some problems. I think that's somewhat missing the forest for a particular tree when it comes to the Stanovich story because I think, by and large, his weird offensive line stuff has worked. If you look at the balance of the the Packers' offensive line performance from 2019 through the present – They've been pretty good, and part of that is getting some really good players. Uh, the Packers have, have had some hits in the draft in that span and have gotten the most out of the guys that they've gotten, um, even when they, they didn't have them out there, um, or, or even even when they weren't just big hits. I, I think of guys even like Royce Newman, who probably overstayed his welcome in the starting lineup and, and got more opportunities than he should have, but you, he's a day three pick. They've gotten a lot out of him for what he was as a player. And they did a lot more weird stuff in 2023 as well. Part of the reason we spent so much time talking about Josh Myers throughout the offseason is because the Packers brought it up. And whether or not he really was playing the the best football of the year, of his career in in 2023, they at least got start to finish with him as their starting center. Now, Zach Tom did end up taking some snaps at center, I think, in in this season uh, because uh, Myers got hurt for a little bit there. But it wasn't the competition that I think we anticipated, but I think that's part of the picture there. They also did the the weird timeshare with Rashid Walker and Yash Nyman, as well as the the same sort of situation between Sean Ryan and John Runyon. And I think both of those situations worked out. Rashid Walker, we know that he looks better, I think, at this point than Yash Nyman does. And you'd feel pretty good about him moving forward, even if they don't bring back Yash Nyman, and I don't expect that they will. Sean Ryan at least seems good enough that they feel comfortable moving on from John Runyon this offseason, who I expect is probably going to get mid to low tier starting guard money in free agency. And, you know, as much as he seemed bummed out to see his time at the Packers end, I don't know if you saw the video of him uh, getting quite emotional in the locker room as the Packers were cleaning out their lockers at the end of the season. That that's very admirable. And I, I, Envy being in his position, having been able to play for the Packers and be a part of that organization. But I think in time, John Runyon will find that a seven-figure direct deposit into your bank account does assuage some of those feelings. Like, yeah, you may not have wanted to move on from the team that drafted you, but you know what's pretty good? Getting 3 to $5 million sent directly to you for signing with another team. I would accept that. I would be willing to, to make that compromise. And then you can always go back to being a Packers fan after your playing days are done. In any case, as far as looking at Adam Stenovich goes, it feels like his decisions, pulling those levers, weird as it may be, had worked on the offensive line. Is it too weird? Possibly, but it seems to be working. Then special teams coordinator Rich Bisaccia. I think it's harder to cover special teams coordinators than we like to believe, Everybody knows about Rick Gosselin's special teams rankings. The Packers dropped in their rankings overall from 22nd last year to 29th this year. But I think some of the, the coverage stuff is generally going to vary. I think when you look at Bisaccia or any special teams coordinator, you really need to judge him by the performance of the, the principals involved here. 
So that comes down to Anders Carlson, Daniel Whelan, Matthew Orzek, Keyshawn, and to a lesser extent, Keyshawn Nixon and Jaden Reed. The big three, Carlson, Whelan, and Orzek, I think put Bisacci on a little bit of shaky ground. I don't want to belabor the point talking about Anders Carlson because I feel like my feelings on him are pretty well known to this point. But whether you like Carlson or not, Bisaccia really went to bat for him at every available opportunity this season. And I think if you want to look at the evaluation of Bisaccia this season and into next year, that's something he needs to be on the hook for. If Carlson improves, Bisaccia can sit there and say, yeah, I was right, or I was right, you were wrong. If he doesn't, okay, why did you think he would be good to begin with? Because We've got the body of evidence in his college career that suggests he's he wasn't a very accurate kicker. We've got one year of NFL stuff that suggests he's not a very accurate kicker. He's consistently inaccurate. If he's inaccurate into next year, we're getting to the point where we're throwing good money after bad. Daniel Whelan, not a lot to say here. He seemed pretty solid and the punt coverage seemed pretty good. That's a point in Bisaccia's favor. If he went to bat for Whelan, you have to imagine he was involved in the decision to move on from Pat O'Donnell, who actually came back this year, by the way, uh, was with the Packers um, in the playoffs uh, briefly as Whelan was suffering from some kind of illness there. They signed him to the practice squad just in case. They didn't end up needing him, but he was back. Uh, the return of Pat O'Donnell, the, the storyline we were monitoring, of course, all season long, when would Pat O'Donnell return right there at the end? Uh, unable to deliver victory for the Packers. Perhaps that was the missing element in that 49ers game. Look, the the last one here of the big three, Matthew Orzek, the, uh, the long snapper, we can't, I'm not going to go super in-depth or pretend that I know a whole lot about the, the machinations of what goes into good snaps and bad snaps or, or things like that. We do know that multiple beat writers have called him out as an issue with the battery there, with with the snap-hold-kick operation there, especially on field goals. We know that he was Pro Football Focus's third lowest-graded long snapper of 2023. And we know that Rich Bisaccia has repeatedly praised him. He called him early in the season a calming force for Whelan and Carlson. So one of those assessments is not like the others. And I know that Pisacci is not going to come out in the media and just roast his guy there. But I think that's another thing that we can, you know, hang on Pisacci here. Okay, you've gone to bat for Carlson. You've gone to bat for Orzik. Just kind of keep that in mind as we evaluate Pisacci and their performance going forward. Keyshawn Nixon as far as special team stuff goes, led the league in returns, kickoff returns, and return yardage for the second consecutive year. He also led the league in kick return average. However, as we explored before, some of that is a little bit of fool's gold. He averages, say, 26.1 yards per per return. I think that's what, what the figure was, about 26 yards per return. That sounds better than it probably is. If you take a kickoff five yards deep and return it out to the 21, that goes in the books For reasons that I don't fully understand as a 26-yard return. But if you had just taken a knee, it would have moved it out four yards further. You're net negative four yards there. I don't understand why that yardage is calculated that way. If you intercepted a pass in the end zone and returned it five yards before taking a knee, you wouldn't get credit for a five-yard return. They would just say there was a touchback. Why does it count as extra yardage? if you just run it out past the goal line. Uh, that doesn't 
that doesn't square for me. The, the point, though, is that Nixon's returns often ended with suboptimal field position. Now, he's a good kick returner, and sometimes rolling the dice is worth the upside there, but it did cost the Packers. It was costing the Packers over the course of the year. They were, at least at the time when we looked at it, I think out through um, five or six games when we did last or during the course of last season, they were in negative yardage just on, on Nixon's kickoff returns. The approach seemed to change over the course of the year. They were a little bit more situational than just taking everything out. But maybe we'll have to run the full numbers there for, for Nixon's player evaluation when we get to defensive backs and, and update it there. But it was not, I think, overall um, as good as it may have seemed. Jaden Reed, it looked like it were pretty strategic with him. No real complaints there. Um, if there's any complaints, it's probably with Reed individually, but overall not a big problem there. The point is, I think if we don't see improvement from Carlson and Wheeland over the next year, we're going to be talking a little bit differently about how Bisacci is handling the special teams unit, and maybe not, maybe less Wheeland than Orzik. I think it's also worth pointing out that the Packers really seem to like Bisacci. It seems to be really liked within the building, has a lot of input on the roster. So all this may be secondary as well. They may just say, we're going to do the best we can on, on coverage stuff. And as long as he's getting input on the, the kicker and the punter and the long snapper and, and things are going better there, well, then we feel considerably better. Now quarterbacks. Usually we go player by player here and talk about the guys who, who did stuff in the regular season. Really, of the three quarterbacks who spent time on the Packers roster, there's only one we're talking about. Just real quickly, the other two guys are Alex Magoo, the former USFL MVP who's still in Green Bay. He was on the practice squad all season. He'll be in camp next year, you would expect. Sean Clifford appeared in two games. One for one, 37 yards passing, was a kneel-down machine other than that. Jordan Love, though. We've said a lot about Jordan Love. Um, I am less interested in 2023 for Love than 2024 But let's quickly look at 2023. You know a lot of the raw numbers. The overall stats, they're good. Um, The bottom line is that his stats ended up looking pretty good this year, even accounting for a bad start uh, at the first six, seven, eight games. But he appeared in and started every game, and he finished every game as well, which is important. Well, finished, he, he left the game. He was healthy when he left the game. If he got pulled out, it was either because the backers were way ahead or way behind. Basically, I'm, I'm giving him credit for weathering the grind of being an NFL quarterback, which, not for nothing, is something that Aaron Rodgers was unable to do in either of his final two seasons with the Packers, 2021 and 2022. He missed missed time um, for an illness in 2021. Then he couldn't finish out the, the Eagles game in 2022. The illness, by the way, is the, the positive COVID test in 2021. He probably would have played, I would guess. It doesn't sound like he was that sick. But the rules were the rules at the time, and that's how, how things ended up being. Love did not have that problem this year. He stayed healthy the entire season. The numbers have been done to death, of course, but the numbers are good across the board again. As far as our expectations, I think met on all accounts. We put them in our high expectations category for 2023. I think he met them. I don't think it's fair looking back on his season to overweight really either half, and I'm just saying half because it's the easiest. You could say is seven really good games or eight really good games, maybe not nine not so good games or whatever. Basically, bad first half, good second half. That seems fair. I think we've got to be careful to not forget about either half. You don't want to focus too much on the bad start or too much on the great end, uh, but consider them equally. 
we it we owe it to ourselves and I think to love as fair analysts of what he did to remember how bad things were at the start, even if they were great towards the end. We also have to credit him for the end, even if the start was not really so good. I say that because if this season was mostly about vibes and feeling good about him being the long-term starter in Green Bay, the vibe I'm left with is very good. The big question, though, is, is we what we saw oh is what we saw sustainable is how he finished in 2023 a sustainable trend for Jordan Love i say yes for th- basically three reasons one a stat one a roster reality and one more a feeling that i get from having watched football for for quite a while now for for quite a while now the stat is, as you might guess, adjusted net yards per attempt. This is something that I I go on and on about when we talk about quarterbacks. But Love's numbers here are good, and it's a pretty stable metric. So if you look at how he finished the the season last year, his eight-game trend for that number was 8.16. Just to contextualize that for you, that is an MVP caliber number. He would have been right up near the league leaders this year for that. And the last time Aaron Rodgers had a number that high, he was consistently or that high consistently, he was winning MVPs. He declined from there over his last year in Green Bay, basically. Love is at that level or has been able to get to that level for eight games, an extended period of time. I think that is a trend worth noting. I think it's also worth noting that he has a very strong and very established and very stable cast around him. Everybody on the Packers offense who Love is going to depend on is going to be around for a long time. The The fewest remaining seasons among the Packers' top pass catchers are Christian Watson and Romeo Dobbs, both of whom still have two full years remaining on their rookie deals. Forget quarterback uncertainty. I mean, we've talked before about how this is the first offseason in a while that the Packers haven't had big questions about their quarterback in February. Forget that. This is the first time in a couple offseasons the Packers really haven't had any wide receiver uncertainty. In 2022, Devontae Adams was traded, so that messed up that whole offseason. We were wondering what they're going to do. How are they going to replace him? They end up signing uh, Sammy Watkins. They draft Christian Watson. Uh, Alan Lazard has to take on a bigger role. By and large, that doesn't work out other than the Watson draft pick for 2022. And then in 2023, Pretty much everybody's new because Alan Lazard and Randall Cobb are headed off to New York to be with Aaron Rodgers. And other than Christian Watson and Romeo Dobbs, your quote-unquote veterans, everybody else is new to the team. So he has a lot of certainty around him that the Packers really haven't had in a couple of years. And then there's just the feeling that he's going to improve. Banking on improvement is tricky. You don't want to assume that people are going to improve. But it seems reasonable to think that Love will at least be somewhat better in 2024. There are aspects to being a quarterback that you just don't know about or just don't do regularly until you you have to do it. Being a starting quarterback, being on the field each and every drive, involves a lot of mental burden. Getting everybody in and out of the huddle, getting the the call communicated correctly, getting your can calls uh, negotiated and organized and everything like that. Getting familiar with checking to audibles, checking to your cans, stuff like that. That stuff just takes practice. You can know it all in your head, but knowing it and communicating it as you've got to hear the call coming in in your your headset, the play clock is counting down, the crowd is loud, 
People are talking to you. You got to get other 10 other guys on the same page with you, get to the line of scrimmage, get all your adjustments, adjustments made, and then go and then do that again and then again and then again and then 60 more times over the course of the game. And while this is happening, there are other people trying to do you great bodily harm on top of all of that. You could just see why your brain would get tired on top of everything else. Getting used to that process takes time. And I think we saw real improvement with love over the course of 2023 with that. I see no reason to think that he couldn't do some of the same sort of stuff with the soft quarterback skills into 2024. I feel pretty good assuming that love is going to be better in 2024 than he was in 2023. Stats, you know, stats are are tricky. Stats are kind of voodoo in a lot of ways. We talked about that with the Barry numbers earlier in this very episode. Maybe his stats aren't better in 2023 or 2024 than they were in 23, but I think Love can be a better quarterback even if his stats aren't necessarily better in 2024 just because he's going to get better at doing the quarterback things the Packers need him to do. There's no reason not to be excited about Jordan Love. And as I've, I've said in a couple episodes now, this is this is where we're at as Packers fans. There's a lot to be excited about, and we're going to end a lot of episodes saying we're excited about the future. This is another one. Jordan Love in 2023 gave us a lot of reasons to be excited about 2024. That's all I've got for you in this episode of Blue 58. I appreciate you tuning in. I'd appreciate it even more if you take a second and share this episode with someone you think would enjoy it. It's going to help more people find the show and get more people involved with the conversation you and I are having about the Green Bay Packers, which in turn is going to help all of us, me included, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.